Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am your host, Chad Michael Bowden, and thank you so much for clicking on a brand new episode of The Unsighted Radio. I do hope you guys have been enjoying the content as of lately, and if you know anybody that might like the content, please do let them know. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, we're also on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. So basically, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us there. Just make sure to tell them to search for The Unsighted Radio and spell it U-N-S-Y, as in Yankee, T-E-D, radio. The Unsighted Radio. All right. Well, everybody, hope you guys are ready for another brand new episode. We have some amazing guests today. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with them very much so off the record, but... It's time to get them on the record. So <laughs> here they are out of Canada. We have Wallace and Melody. They are the founders of T6 Talk, and they are our great and powerful guests today. So please welcome Wallace and Melody. Hey, Chad. Hey, Chad. Thanks so much for yes, having us today. Hey, I'm happy to get you guys on. It's a pleasure to be sitting down and recording this episode today. So thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. Look forward to it. All right. Well. I guess the best thing to do is if you guys, and obviously I gave away your names already, but if you could each just separately introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about you, that I think that'd be a good place to start. Okay, my name is uh, Wallace. Uh, my my legal birth name is Randy, but I go by Wallace. Um, so, oh, story. Um, I currently uh, work as a clinical research associate uh, for a uh, 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 University of uh, Western Ontario and, and uh, uh, St. Joe's Hospital out of Southern Ontario. Um, I'm also a registered social worker. And with that, I am part of a counseling agency. So I provide individual uh, psychotherapy as well. Um, and then numerous other, you know, volunteer stuff, uh, run some boxer size classes. Um, we do some peer uh, group stuff. Uh, once a week where we uh, all get together uh, various members of uh, the disability community and we get together and uh, yeah talk about topics that we've selected or if things go uh, right off book if one of the uh, members wants to talk about something that's really burning in their lives then uh, we'll switch up but uh, so yeah oh yeah and then as as uh, Melanie points to my wheelchair um, <laughs> I keep forgetting the fact that um I have uh, almost 35 years lived experience uh, with a spinal cord injury. Uh, as a result of a motorcycle accident, I severed my sixth thoracic vertebrae. So uh, that's why our website is called T6 Talk, because that is the uh, level at which I'm completely paralyzed. So, um, yeah. No further ado, here's that. <laughs> I think it's really funny that happens more often than not, Chad, that, uh, oh yeah, the 35 years of lived experience, uh, yeah, let's talk about that too, that that tends to be a very, I think it's just because it's who you are. It's who I am, it's part of my everyday life, I don't yeah. really think about it, right? It's just, nah, yeah, it's like, to introduce <laughs> I can I can zip you know sympathize. It's like you you know you you live it for so much. It's just it's a part of you, and you're kind of just forget sometimes. You're like oh yeah, I am disabled. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not until well we can get into that too in terms of how I feel of what disability really is. But, mm -hmm. but uh, you know you're absolutely right. I agree hundred percent with Chad. So I'm Melanie. I am Wallace's better half. Um, really happy to have finally met this fella we met each other later in life 
Um, in my past life, I was in human resources. Uh, the reason why I got into that field was to be of service and to try to help remove barriers for people. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work that way. I think I was quite naive as to maybe what HR meant, um, but I still tried to do my best. Uh, but then when we were in the situation where we could, because Wallace and I knew we wanted to work on uh, disability advocacy together, uh, that some changes were going to happen. So just before, uh, just when the whispers of COVID it was just kind of whispered about that people were getting sick, but I don't think even the name COVID was coming up. Oh, no. oh. uh, I had uh, put in my two months notice and I actually found and hired my replacement um, and went into like a semi-retirement. Uh, so that would have been in the January, or I guess the February of 2020. That was February because then March is when they, you know, that COVID really, happened yeah, and that, that poor woman that you hired for your spot was thrown into the fire. <laughs> That's right. Oh man. So uh, at that point, I, I do um, identify as having an invisible disability. I've, I've um, lived with uh, depression and anxiety my whole life. Uh, the de depression part, I, I managed to kind of figure out how to uh, manage in a very healthy way, I would say by the time I was in maybe my it probably wasn't until I was 40, honestly, but I managed things earlier. It, anxiety was a, a trickier thing for me to try to figure out. Um, but when I retired, I was basically burnt out at that point. So I put a lot of expectations on myself that I would you know, take a couple of months and then jump back into something. And uh, those months turned into almost a year. Um, and of course, then I was feeling like I was failing because I wasn't producing. I wasn't, you know, bringing in an income and, and this beautiful partner of mine just is looking at me saying you need to do what you need to do to be healthy and and be in this world and uh and then all of a sudden Wallace was um asked to, uh, to speak about sex and disability for an organization and he said absolutely but as long as my wife can be a part of it and then that's where we kind of started things together so that's the genesis of us actually working on some projects and it's it's been going since uh early 2021 I would say and, and so much, so much to do. So that's a long-winded explanation of who I And I like to refer to her as the CEO of T6 Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's an amazing story. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. For me, I have many questions just off of that. Um, Melanie, I, I'm, you know, I'm interested. You, you mentioned you, you got into HR because you wanted to break down some barriers. Were those barriers you know, having to deal with disability, invisible disability. Um, I'm just curious if you can expand upon that mm -hmm. a little bit more. Um, and obviously, you know, we can, you know, maybe get into a little bit of, you know, how you started getting involved with the disability community. Sure. Um, well, actually, it would, I would have to go way, way back in time to uh, the 80s when we were uh, young people. Um, so we were 80s teenagers, both Wallace and myself. Um, and I found from a very early age, I think this is the best way for me to describe this chat, is that I, I never felt like I really fit. Uh, and I always felt like I felt at home when I was around people who I think, I don't think I had the language for it, but I realized after the fact were marginalized in some way. Mm -hmm. That if I, I didn't fit in that that mainstream 
kind of area. I always felt like I was on the, you know, on the outskirts of that. The fringes. The fringes of, of that. Right. And I think now, I think when we talk about languages of how people identify, maybe if we had the same language in the 80s, maybe I would have said I was they them because of my uh, feelings of how I felt about uh, what it means to be feminine, what it means to be a woman, uh, and identified as a feminist from a very early age. But what all does that mean? And 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 why was there so much pressure for me to wear makeup and, and a dress and and to look a particular way? And uh, so never feeling like I quite fit. Um, and the both the paid work that I did and volunteer work I did was in disability community. And again, I didn't really do it like I was. It just seemed like those were the places where I fit. So I worked for um, a community organization that provides respite care for parents uh, with young kids with disabilities. So I worked with this uh, young person who was just so lovely. And I did uh, physiotherapy with him and speech therapy with him. He had cerebral palsy, he's five or six years old. And it was truly one of the best times of my life was being able to spend time with this young person. Really enjoyed that. I also uh, volunteered at a school when when schools when people weren't integrated into the public school system they had their own school and own classrooms and uh, I was kind of a floater in that but there was generally like one room that I spent time with and it was about engaging with these young people and because they didn't communicate in the traditional thank you traditional way so it was about us trying to figure out together how we were going to communicate with one another. And for both of us, for me, I, I could feel, I could, I could see in, in the wheels turning of how we were going to do that with one another. And when it clicked, it just felt so good. It felt like it meant something. Um, rather than a lot of the conversations I was having as a teenager, which, you know, carried on into university and it's like, why are we talking like this? Why are we attacking one another? Why are we focusing on things that just don't seem to matter? I've never been good at small talk. Uh, I tend to all of a sudden delve into things that are deeper. And then people would say I was too serious or I was stuck <laughs> up. But I just really, I wanted to get into the, the, the bone marrow of things and not just kind of skirt around stuff. So I was a very serious, um, but funny yeah. <laughs> person. I had I'd taken a couple of levels of sign language as well when I was in high school at, at a college level. Uh, I've since lost a lot of that, but I want to take that back up again. So I think that that's where I think maybe my calling should have been to continue with that, mm -hmm. but I didn't. Um, so I, I, you know, nature abhors a straight line. So I took a lot of turns here and there. I was a very young mom because I was told that I may not be able to have children. Uh, I ended up having uh, my daughter when I was at university. So very young mom. And at that point, then you just kind of do what you need to do, right? So you are you don't think of it as being limitations or, or not as many options because my focus was making sure that my child was happy and healthy and happy and, and, and having what they needed. Um, and then there came a time where I was no longer uh, with uh, my child's um, father and so I needed to kind of figure out what I was going to do as a single mom and I ended up 
going into a position that had to do with design uh, in, in a textile field. And then it kind of went from there. I was then managing some departments on the on the floor, which I really like because I'm 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 a jeans sort of person, uh, and work boots was that was fine with me. So to kind of help out with how machinery works. So as a manager on the floor, I felt my job was to work my way out of a job. So how do I remove barriers for the people I'm managing so that they can do their job? And so that's how kind of how I always felt. But it it wasn't. It wasn't, it didn't satisfy me enough. I really wanted something more. And I thought maybe it was in teaching, in training, and something like that. I don't think I really think if somebody had said disability advocacy, I would have been like, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> but I didn't. And I just finished paying off university. And so I was like, okay, I can afford to take like a year. Like I'll, I'll do a lot more debt again, but let's, let's just do it because I, I need to do something different. And uh, so then I, I, I saw this program for HR. I thought, well, maybe I'll do the training part of HR. Maybe that's what the focus will be. And it's a one-year course to do. So uh, I did that. And then actually was asked to go back to the same company I had left because they had never had an HR person and said, come do that. And you can do the HR thing here. They built a training room and an office for me right on the plant floor, which appealed to me so that I was right there on the plant floor. Um, and I was helping, I set up a GED program. So if people wanted to get their high school equivalency. Mm -hmm. So those things really excited me. Um, and all the things that I did were worth doing, but they weren't what my passion was. So yes, it's important to have health and safety, but I like more of the training aspect of it. Uh, and, and as I say, removing obstacles. So if that means somebody has a hard time with communication, how can I help them with communicating? And is that you know, I, I helped uh, one person, we did a reading. Um, we met every week and, and I helped her with reading uh, and worked on reading together, which then in turn, she was able to write speeches for family get togethers and for her own wedding and different things like that. So then she could stand up in front of family and friends and talk. So that was the stuff that made sense to me, that all of that. Um, yeah, and, and so then, you know, fast forward, it's, it's 2020. And actually it was the fall, it was the Chris, it was the fall winter of 2019. And Wallace and I were at my aunt's place and I was, I didn't know I was going to break down and I just started crying and I just felt so exhausted and tired. Um, and my father, so, so my aunt Catherine, who we saw is the youngest of 12 and she's the last surviving of, of the siblings and she's in her mid eighties. And she said, you know what your dad would have said if he was here? You know, you need to take care of yourself and be healthy. So that's, that's, so does that help? I know it's kind of a long-winded answer to that, <laughs> no, Dad, but. That's, that was perfect. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm curious before I, I start to kind of bridge this over uh, into Wallace. <laughs> um, um, when did you two originally meet? Funny story because. Oh, man. Because my, <laughs> uh, my ex-husband, in fact, we were at Brown University at the same time, Wallace and I. Our and paths crossed so many times. Yeah, uh, you know, prior to this, but it yeah. just didn't happen yeah. until. So he Wallace actually remembers me pregnant at university. Oh. My ex-husband, because I'm just so beautiful with my long hair. Oh, your long braids and <laughs> yeah. your denim overalls—it was and, great. And my big pregnant belly. Yeah. Um, 
but my ex-husband remembers balls, remembers the type of um, spokes that were on his wheelchair, remembers all of that stuff, which is so funny. Um, so I don't, I, I have maybe a vague recollection, but I almost think is that, am I just putting that on myself? Right. I don't know that I remember Wallace. And then there were people that through the years where I find out now were people that Wallace knew from the Niagara region and I met after the fact. So then as we're telling each other our stories, it's like, oh my gosh, you this was like a really good friend and and they became friends of mine. And we You shared a house with somebody who I was friends with. Yeah, yeah. So all of these so, things. Yeah. And then um neither one of us are online dating app people. Um but how do you, unless you're going out to bars and hanging out, like when you're in school, there's, you have different opportunities to kind of meet with like-minded people. So your opportunities are a little bit different when you get older. And um, yeah, so we would both kind of dip our toes into, okay, we'll do like the three month membership sort of thing and, and just try it. And I, I would always feel really dirty and I would just felt bad because I also, I'm totally okay with being a niche market person. I am not the person that's going to get thousand likes a day because of what I do or how I look. And I'm not, wasn't looking for that. It can be really discouraging, but I'm a good person, um, you know, yeah. have a lot to offer, but I also was really happy with being on my own. Um, so I would only partner up with somebody if I felt they truly were a partner in crime and that because relationships are hard. So I'm not going to put in the effort if it's if there's if there's no meat to it, mm -hmm. and um, so it happened to be that I, I all of a sudden had this urgency to get online. It was actually eHarmony, although I would never advertise for them. And <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I one of the first profiles I saw was Wallace's, and immediately there was a physical like oh, he's beautiful. And then I started to read his profile. And I'm like this is an incredible person look at all the things that this person has done and wants to do and so it was an immediate but then I was really tentative to kind of write a lot so I just sent a smile I'm like I'm not investing everything into this <laughs> so send a smile right that'll be enough and then it's totally up to that person and then forget it and um just on Wallace's point of view and you can interject he was actually trying to get out of eHarmony at that point. Yeah. And only happened to be changing over phones and happened to see that I'd sent the smile. Otherwise, he would have missed it. And we never would have met. Wow. And within two days of connecting on eHarmony, we were texting. And within, I think, three or four days, we had our first conversation on the phone. It was three hours long. And we have not stopped talking since. Yeah. That's yeah, so incredible. I, yeah. yeah, it was. Because I, I was I was giving up on the... Uh, on online dating thing because i mean i i don't see any any uh a purpose of in any way concealing the fact that i have a disability i don't see any because i had friends say well you know don't put on there that you're disabled just wait till you meet the person i'm like i'm not gonna do that and because one it, it says a lot about how i feel about the fact that i have a disability mm -hmm. i'm completely comfortable with that and so why hide it like it's it almost like it's a dirty little secret or something so if with having it being out there i really was very discouraging um i had a lot of things kind of happen that that were not great and so uh, like for example i had uh, uh one woman write me a beautiful uh reply that went on about oh you've accomplished so much and you know you 
know, the things that you've done, your story uh, was really inspirational to me, all of these things. So I sent back a, a message saying, okay, well, would you like to get together for coffee? And, and she's like, oh, no, 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 sorry, you misunderstood. I don't want to go out with you. I just thought your your story was great. So, and I'm like, like what? Then if I'm so amazing, but you don't want to join me for a coffee? Like, what? So anyway, yeah. I was, I contacted the army and said, take me off, take me off your site. And they said, we can't do that. You paid for it. So I had just let it run, running. And then as Melanie said, I was just clearing out my phone and clearing it out. And I saw this smiley face and I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a chance. And I looked, and what was great is that Melanie actually filled in the questions. Like the questions that were answered, she would put a full out answer, as opposed to your typical, you know, I like walks on the beach at sunset. I like, you know, you know, the, the typical kind of just answers that everybody puts out there. She actually put herself out there. And I was very impressed by that and by her. And I was also very attractive. Um, it, it worked out really well the universe <laughs> things were things were in line at uh late even late fall evening when i was yeah. taking a look at uh clearing this out it worked out uh, wonderfully so that was so. in 2017 chat and we haven't looked back and i almost blew it i was so close to blowing it because it's we were true. we it's were true. we were talking and i was about to go on a vacation with my daughter and my goddaughter down to nashville three of us are driving down to nashville so we had our our great three-hour conversation and I told Melanie that I'd call her when I got back. I'm leaving the next day, he said. I'm leaving on the Monday. This is what I'm doing and I promised my daughter and my daughter that I would not be on my phone. So I will contact you as soon as I get back. And I believe told me when you were going to be back. That, yes. Yes. But me and my, 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 I hadn't dated, like I was a single dad for a long time. I hadn't even gone on a date years um i just was done with it and then so i was taking dating advice from two 19 year old um <laughs> young women and they basically said oh, don't don't call right away it'll make you seem too eager so i waited they said wait like two or three days i waited a day no two days two days yeah and anyway melanie's like what a and jerk. i can't end. believe you didn't call me back the other and i'm like well he's not he didn't he didn't message me and then by the second day i'm like why would he do that? Like, seriously, like, why would you be that open and honest about all of it and do that? That's just a jerk move. If you contact me now and tell you to go fly your kite, and then as soon as you messaged, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If I would, I'm telling you, if I would have waited another day, we wouldn't be sitting here talking yeah. to you today. So, um, that's a pretty funny story. Yeah. You know, the saying is, his timing is everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think too, then when we met, there were no small conversations. I think we were both putting everything out on the table immediately. Like I can remember I was, um, uh, the house that we live in now was my house at that point. Now it's our house. Um, and I was sitting at the table carving pumpkins for, 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 um, Halloween mm. and Wallace was in the kitchen making us a delicious dinner and I mean we were talking about sex very openly and having questions about things like that like we just immediately just started having big conversations because we didn't want to mess around didn't want to play around too old for that yeah. game and just yeah just so tired here are all the things we're gonna throw it all out there we're not gonna hold anything back because if this freaks you out if it scares you if this isn't the fit for you then tell me now because 
don't want to invest the emotional, the physical, the no. all of that. Uh, and if you're in, then we're gonna let's let's be in. It's like um, throwing spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, you know, which is just wanted. Yeah, yeah. We were just simpatico. Yeah, our weirdness matched. Yes. Two 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 nerdy eighties punk rockers. <laughs> Decades uh, later. So I I believe um, Melanie, you you mentioned that when y'all originally met in college. Um, you um your your ex remembers the Stokes and Wallace's wheels. So Wallace at this time obviously you were um you had already had your injury. Um when when did your injury occur? I was in it was the beginning of my second year of university. Mm -hmm. Uh so that would have been nineteen eighty eight. So November first, nineteen eighty eight. Um, and I was a, a varsity athlete, so I had just finished. I was I was a, a, a crew member uh, oarsman for for the lightweight uh, varsity rowing crew, and um, it was two days after the uh, provincial championships, and um, I was riding my motorcycle, and it was I probably had about five kilometers of riding left because my whole. Um, reason for taking the bike on the road so late was just to get back and forth to, to rowing in the morning and stuff. So once the season was done, I was getting the uh, motorcycle winterized and put away the winter that day. And it, like you said, timing is everything. I just happened to be in the, in the, in the uh, depending on where you're looking at, the right place, the wrong place, at the right or the wrong time. And um, the accident happened. Uh, a van turned in front of me and I hit the side of it and mm -hmm. all kinds of uh, broken bones and internal injuries later, uh, most significantly being a shattered spine um, that's left me completely paralyzed from my chest out. You did get a helicopter ride with, uh, with me. Oh, yeah. With, um, it was great because when I was apparently, I don't really remember this very vividly, but um, they had to uh, uh, transport me uh, by helicopter uh, from the city I was in to uh, Toronto. And um, I guess like, I kept slipping in and out of consciousness because I also sustained a head injury. And when I woke up, the guy or the paramedic, the air paramedic that was uh, watching over me uh, looked like Tom Selleck. So I said to the guy, because I was a big fan of Magnum PI. And I you guess, still are. I still am. <laughs> um, and I said to the guy, Hey man, is TC flying this bird? And so I still had my sense of humor, even even uh, there lying, knowing I was never going to walk again. So yeah. So then it's carried me. So then you were back at Brock University the following fall. Yeah. In the, right in the September, yeah. you were right back at school, and that's when my ex husband. That's when he started his first year of university, and Wallace was the. Um, I was an orientation director for the first year students. So that's how they met. Yeah. So basically, I was like a I was like a babysitter during Frosh Week to make sure that uh, <laughs> we could minimize the alcohol poisoning and yes. uh, physical injuries. Mm -hmm. So you, you, how old were you at this time? Like your your uh, early late teens. I was twenty. Okay, so you uh, turned twenty that May. Yeah. Okay. So you know, yeah, you know, obviously, I always say this to my guests when discussing. Uh, their obvious disabilities or chronic health conditions. So please, you know, share as much as you would like. Uh, I'm just curious, okay. obviously you, you know, you mentioned you were kind of like the super athlete 
and then of course the accident happens and then i mean your 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 entire life is completely changed just from the accident um so i'm just wondering you know for you how was that initial year you know getting used to your new life yeah it was it did i mean it it was a complete stop to where i was heading um which so for when when it happened fortunately given the fact we had just finished the rowing season, I was in really good shape. And if it wasn't for the physical shape that I was in, uh, I wouldn't have survived the injuries that I had. So um, that right there uh, was was uh, um, something I identified really very early on after the accident. Um, the first year was a real roller coaster. I mean, the... I spent three months in acute care while they patched up all the different injuries that I had before they could send me to rehabilitation. So in that three months, I really did not know what was, um, what was available to me in life. All I knew was that the life I once knew was now over. I completely paralyzed from my chest down, which again, totally blew me away because whenever I saw people in wheelchairs, I just thought paralyzed legs, everything else worked. You just can't walk. You know, when the reality is that now you've got no bladder or bowel function in terms of functioning, that is, is affected massively. Um, uh, again, just the different concerns with how you've got to be so careful about your skin and all that stuff, which is another thing. I had a, a massive pressure sore when I was in the hospital. And I had some really nasty nurses that would dangle flesh in front of my face. We have to deal with with you and all that stuff. So I had a lot of really poor treatment where I was. I had uh, uh, no idea of what I was capable of doing, feeling I was going to be alone for the rest of my life. How could I possibly be productive and, and really go on with life? So I was really very depressed uh, during that time when I was in acute care. Um, it came to a point where I just so that's that's all I would think about is no I'm here okay. okay all I want all I thought about was was how can I kill myself I thought about ways of trying to hoard my medication and overdose um, I found a window in, in the hospital that I wanted to throw myself out of but I couldn't get myself up on the window ledge um, I, I just wanted to die and um, fortunately, um, I, I've got an amazing group of friends. I'm still friends with them to this date, um, or to this day. They <laughs> were so instrumental at supporting me. Um, and, and what uh, happened when you went to um, the rehab? Well, that's what was, yeah. When I went to rehab, that's where the turning point happened. So when I went to physical rehabilitation, it was back in the to was the glory days where I was in rehab for almost six months um, because in today by today's standards and short stays and everything the same injury that I had you're lucky if you're there for uh, uh, six weeks let alone six months but being there um, I was you, you forged really great relationship with other people that have just been through the same thing um, it was a hospital that was strictly for spinal cord injuries. There were about 90 people in there. 90% of them were, were 
males and the average age was like 24 or 25 or something like that. So I got to watch what other people were capable of doing. Also got to watch people that had much more severe injuries than what I had and saw some really great attitudes from them as well. And another one of the benefits of staying so long in the hospital was every once in a while, somebody who had been living out in the community with a spinal cord injury would be back in the hospital. What I refer to as like a tune-up, which is, you know, <laughs> they would have some kind of surgery and they'd be in there rehabilitating again or something. But you, you got to hear the stories of the things that they were doing in life. And it opened up so many possibilities. Uh, I And so there was a complete 180 in terms of my attitude. And I started... Uh, and you found out with the, the power of peer, right? I oh, mean. the power of peers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, like I said, with that being there for six months, you learn so much from your peers. And I learned much more from my peers than, than I did with the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists. You learned a heck of a lot from them too. But it was that connection with people that have the shared experience, which really, really got me motivated. And so I, and again, my friends from pre, like that I've had, had all through high school. And so with, with them supporting me, um, it was, because I didn't really have a great family. I come from a very um, abusive background and um, I really had nothing to do with my family uh, mm -hmm. prior to the accident. Um, so my friends were my family and mm -hmm. they really came through for me. And when I say my friends, I'm talking the ones that I had, you know, from a te being my teen years were the ones that I that I that I had from the rehabilitation experience, and um, yeah, and then I, I they went from there, and the doors that were open for me as a result of my accident um, were very pivotal in terms of how I viewed having my and. Because even though I was a varsity athlete and I was in university, what I didn't know is that I have a learning disability and I always struggled academically. Um, and I was not doing well uh, in terms of the academic of, of school. And my goal was to try out for the lightweight actual rowing team following summer. And I probably would have dropped out of school and would have uh, gone to work at General Motors where I had worked the summer before. So um, having the accident uh, really uh, enabled me to learn a lot about myself, learn a lot about my learning ability. Um, and then Once you knew you had a learning disability, then you knew how, to, how to learn. You knew learn how to learn, <laughs> which then enabled you to go on to get your master's and 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 do what you've done since then, right? Yeah. So, and pursue what yeah. I wanted to pursue. I mean, it slowed me down and enabled me to to um, really focus my attention in a way. Um, and then bringing it around to get sport, um, I, I, what really is going to was wanting to, again, get involved in athletics. And I did so with hand cycling, and that gave me so many more opportunities in terms of traveling. I was part of the Canadian National Cycling Team. And so I was able to uh, travel independently over to Europe a number of times, travel uh, across Canada, travel down in competitions. So it, again, it was almost like a, 
that 360 was involved in, in high-level sports when I had the accident. Having the accident enabled me to get the education and the career I wanted, which brought me back around sports again. And um, yeah, I, I really don't think my life would be nearly as fulfilled. I don't think I would have had the great experiences that I had if it weren't for having that. Yeah, that's a it's a very mature way of looking at a disability, and obviously, um, that's kind of where we all hope we can get to one day. You know, it, it's going to take longer for many others, and maybe some may never get there. But you know, that I I love to hear that you can look at your disability and say, you know, like yeah, it kind of was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though it sounds so devastating. But you know. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. completely relate because, you know, nowadays that's, that's what I'm saying to people is, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me is that I started losing my vision. Um, mm -hmm. and it's hard to get there, but once you get there, it's, it's a great feeling to have. <laughs> it really is. At least that's what I found. Well, I think it, it, when you're afforded the opportunity to kind of look at things differently, um, rather than maybe some of the mainstream I think you can find some much deeper and richer things there on the edges. And um, and then how do we give back? And I think then with your feeling about Piers Wallace and about uh, giving back that that's why we do what we do now and why we have you know weekly conversations with community. So that, I mean, it's pretty impactful, Chad, when, you have people whose shoulders all of a sudden start to come down from their ears and they they feel relieved to have found community and people who just just understand. Yeah. yeah. That they realize they've been carrying something really, really heavy and that they found a group of people that will share in carrying that load. And that they're not alone. And that they're not alone. Yeah. Because is, is, is it easy to age with a spinal cord injury, Wallace? No. I mean, it's not easy to age, I think, for, for a lot of people. But, I mean, the reality, there are the realities of what spinal cord injury can mean and and uh, the time and a day that it takes to manage self-care and, and do all of those things. But I'll try to hold down a, a job right. or volunteer work. or But you're living a fulfilled life. Oh, I am. Very, very much so. Yeah. And uh, it's not a matter of saying either that everything is bright and shiny with unicorns prancing around. It's it's not at all like that because life is not like that. Well, well, that's another thing that I, I when I'm talking to uh, peers as well is that you, you can't blame everything that goes bad on the disability. Yeah. Because life happens. And, and whether you have the um, you know disability or not, things are going to happen and things it's, that are not fair yeah yeah that are painful yeah happens to everybody mm -hmm. right a hundred percent um i hope i'm not being disrespectful when i ask this uh of of you um more so to you melanie um but mm -hmm. when you two originally started um seeing each other was there any sort of you know, hesitancy on your part to jump into a relationship with Wallace? I know, you know, that I'm probably not state, you know, saying that the right way, but 
obviously. No, you're, um... <laughs> no, you're saying it with, with respect. You're asking the question with respect, Chad. And I yeah. also fully, uh, I know that if there's anything that I feel is beyond a, a, a boundary for me that I could let you know, and that would be fine. Mm. Uh, but there was zero hesitation when it mm. came to his disability. Um, I think I, I could disclose because I know that Walt and I've talked about this openly in other forums that we both have very different um, ways that we grew up. Mm -hmm. And so Wallace's was uh, fairly volatile while mine was, I mean, it, it, there wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but it was, there was, it was, there was a calmness to it that Wallace did not experience. So um, I think what challenged me in our relationship was trying to figure out how to fight. And we ended up actually seeing a, a couples therapist because we knew what we had as a, as a couple was worth fighting for and worth mm -hmm. having. Um, and so we wanted to tend to it like you would tend to a garden. So making sure it has the water and the, fer the fertilizer and whatever yeah. else it might need in order to flourish really well. And for us, it meant reaching outside of the two of us to get some help in learning how to fight. Because for me, uh, fighting was the end of things. And Wallace kept explaining to me that this is, this is what couples do. And, it, it shut me down, I think, as well. I think because of my depression and anxiety, that as soon as uh, that, it just became overwhelming. Uh, and it would just immediately shut me down uh, in kind of like a protection mode sort of a thing. So I would say that that was the thing that I struggled with and that we figured out. And we've, not completely, but we're in a, we understand each mm -hmm. other now and how we communicate. Um, so no, when it came to his disability, no, that was, I had questions. I had, because <laughs> I know that no, no disability, no, per, no two people are the same. No, no person with this, uh, two people with the same disability have the same experience within that right. disability. So his experience is very unique. Um, so there were things I wanted to know. There's things I was curious about, you know, um, I, I was, yeah, I, I don't know how far you want to go, but honestly, John, you can ask me any question and it probably won't make me blush and I would answer it. But I'm also not going to uh, provide uh, provide info that maybe you don't want to hear. So uh, if there's anything specifically you want to ask, I'm happy to answer it. <laughs> but thank you for answering that. And yeah. The reason I asked is, you know, you know, you guys do a lot of talks and, you know, I know when we talked previously, you know, one thing that you're both very passionate about is sex and disability um, and talking yeah. about relationships. So I, I definitely I wanted to ask that because it's hard enough to date with no disability, but for yeah. people with a disability, I mean, you know, while was you kind of, you know, alluded to, it's like, it's really hard because you, you start cannibalizing yourself thinking um, no one's going to want to date the blind guy or no one's going to want to date someone that has to use a wheelchair or a power chair, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, quote, quote unquote damaged goods, you know, I'll be lucky if someone ever asked me to go out with them. Um, and I hate that that's kind of how um, it's perceived, but I mean, it, I mean, again, the, the, it, there are struggles for sure. And I know, you know, especially when you get into this mindset of thinking of like how a man should be. And and I say that very loosely because obviously, you know, 
there's a lot of stereotypes that go into you know chauvinism and you know narcissism yeah. it's like oh, the absolutely. man's supposed to pick up the girl you know hold the yeah. door out for her you know do all these things and then when you realize well i can't do any of that because of my disability you're just like well am i even you know a man worth a woman yeah. am i yeah. man enough to be with a woman and and, and so or if i can just interject and, and interject and jump in here Chad, that there's a, there's a lot that's being said right there and, and we also have to acknowledge that coming from a very narrow point of view of, of a um, uh, two cisgendered people Absolutely. in a heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, I I wasn't looking for toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I go the opposite direction. I'm a very strong-willed, uh, very capable human being uh, who happens to have a vagina. It doesn't mean I can't use tools. It doesn't mean I can't fix things. It doesn't mean that I'm not capable of taking care of myself and the environment that I am in. Mm-hmm. And I could, I, Wallace, I'm just going to talk about you from my point of view. I met Wallace and here's a person who um, saw me for exactly who I am and appreciates it. And, um, and he is not a... He can be dude-ish, but he's, <laughs> he doesn't have the toxic masculinity. He's a burnt marshmallow. You're burnt marshmallow is right, crusty on the outside. Crusty on the outside, and all gooey in the middle. Yeah. So, 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 you know, it's great that I could then ask him questions or or to gain his insight into something, and he he doesn't mansplain it to me. <laughs> uh, if he's knowledgeable about it, he will share that information with me. So it, it created a situation where then I I felt comfortable asking him for help because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being, that I had to fight for my space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And to keep that leverage as a strong, independent person. But he respected that and there was space for that. So I, I feel like in our relationship that we equally support one another in similar ways and in very different ways as well. So that's why, for example, I take issue with being called a caregiver, unless mm-hmm. we're both going to get that label. Um, because we, as, uh, um, as a couple, we do tend to one another and we care for one another. Um, but I am not his attendant. <laughs> right? Um, and when it comes to, I also, when it came to a sex life with somebody with a visible, notice like a very obvious disability, what I always liked about myself and in other people was the ability to think outside the box and be creative. <laughs> and when you rely on, this is how we always do it. You know, if we're talking about a hetero, heterosexual relationship, it's about mm. penis, vagina, it's about intercourse, and that's what sex is, and mm-hmm. it's very narrowly defined. Well, ask anybody who's going to answer honestly, and that's not the end-all, be-all anyways. So when you're with somebody who has creativity and thinks outside the box and how to problem-solve, and then you match that with another person who's exactly the same way, and wants to communicate because communication is the key to freaking everything, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to sex. 
So when we're able to openly communicate what we want, what we don't want, how we want it, how we don't want it, what it's what it should look like, you end up having the best sex life. <laughs> and does it look like everybody else's sex life? Well, I don't think anybody's sex life looks like anybody else's sex life. That's the fallacy of what we see on media, right? Mm-hmm. It it doesn't happen that way. Um, and and I'll share with you. Uh, a funny story, and we've shared it before, which is why I don't feel like I have to ask. It's okay, but tell them about this. But we, the first time we were together in a in a in a sexual way, uh, we call it the nap. Um, so Wallace asked me if I if I was a, if I like to take naps. I'm like, no, I don't like to take naps. And then I realized, oh, like nap. You're just thinking, like, how was a we... great big wink. Yeah. How did, how did, okay. <laughs> so then, so then it was really funny because. Um, I was texting him then. I said, because at that point I had a bed that had uh, like drawers underneath uh, 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 a box spring and then a mattress on top. So if I rode my bike for long enough, I had to get a step stool to get on top of my bed. So I, I, I measured it from the floor to the top of the mattress. And I said, this is how tall it is. Like, is this doable? He says, we'll find a way. <laughs> and so, you know, we roll into the bedroom and literally it was him transferring, but I'm grabbed onto his, the waist of his pants and like threw him. He tossed me into the middle of the bed. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, and it, was then great. it was, it was so beautiful and it was just, it was about respect and kindness and, and exploration, exploration. and, and all, all the things that, just make you feel good right down into your bone marrow. And at one point, Chad, we were laying uh, kind of like face to back on our sides, uh, almost nose to nose. And it was a really calm moment. And then all of a sudden, there's this fart that lasted for almost a solid minute. Just this long, sustained, flatulent sound. And we're just looking deeply into each other's eyes. And then the fart ends. And then there's a pause, and Wallace says, I think that was me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I started howling, and that's, you know, because he yeah. didn't, and that, be, that there began the time of, of, of if there is flatulence, that Wallace will always take the blame for it. Um, what do I know? I don't need there. That's right, because no. he can't feel it. But, yeah. um, but it was, that to me felt like, a real sexual experience rather than what you see in the movies of everything just happening in a choreographed sort of way. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Thank and, you for sharing that. And, Absolutely. and for me, it was, it's funny because if we go back a bit and talk about the communication part and um, the differences and what made this such a unique experience, um, when you had asked Melanie about, you know, uh, was there any reservation? Was there any you know, thought about, you know, dating or, or, or having a relationship with someone who's in a wheelchair. Um, most often, if not oh, almost always, questions that would be asked would be asked in a matter of, uh, there was a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of resistance. Uh, people were asking because, um, they, I don't know, there was just a difference in how people would ask. It was almost like, you know, people were asking about what I was capable of doing in terms of the what parts of my body I could feel or, or, or not feel. It was more a matter of, of 
kind of checking off things off the list. Mm-hmm. And and when Melanie asked, it was of it was just it was such pure curiosity and just really wanting to know, as opposed to uh, it was it was not an interview or an audit of what I could and could not do, what I was capable or not capable of doing. And it was so much different than any other dating experience I'd, I'd ever had. Um, because a lot of people were just looking for, almost like they were looking for the reasons to justify their their internal worry of, you know, going out with the meeting mm. or being with somebody with with a, with a physical disability. And, um, and, and that's what, you know, made dating so discouraging. It was like, it was, at times it felt like I was being interviewed. Um, and, and it was, yeah, it just was an awful feeling. However, you put up with it, right? You you, you put up with it. You don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I I don't know how many times I ignored red flags uh, in people, um, just because you know I I was afraid of being alone. And when Melanie and I met, uh, as I said earlier, I had just gone through a four year period without even dating. I was so happy being by myself. I put all my focus in uh, raising raising my daughter, um, and 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 even in terms of my career, I decided to work at Home Depot, which was in my hours, get my paycheck, and not have to worry about bringing it home. So I focused everything around that, and and it was I also just learned how to satisfy whatever needs that I needed myself, and and. Um, you know, didn't want to worry about it. So mm-hmm. it was it was very refreshing to ask questions purely because the person is legitimately wanting to. I think it's also fascinating because it's it, it totally fed into the conversations that we've had since then within disability community. So um, when we're talking about uh, the term body mapping and um, body mapping is something that Wallace did in order to have a greater understanding of uh, the relocation of erogenous zones and and uh, so that he could do like we all should be doing for ourselves is figure out figuring out what feels good for us um, and how it might feel good um, and, and where things maybe don't feel good and, yeah. and um, stimulation that is not a positive thing right and so by Wallace doing his homework and by me doing my homework and then coming together as older adults who have had enough experience to say, you know, I'm actually going to openly communicate these things and yeah. and, um, and really be transparent about it uh, m- meant that we could have a satisfying sex life. And then when we're talking about body mapping, body mapping can then be something that couples can do. It's kind of like, a relationship isn't something you just kind of figure out and you do and you don't have to maintain. It's like you, you have to you have to take your relationship to the garage, right? Put it up in the waist and, and take a boo at it. So look at its undercarriage. That's right. <laughs> uh, so like body mapping can then be an activity for couples to do, whether there's disability involved or not. So that you are individually and as a couple or maybe as a couple. Um, or if there's more than one or more than two people within that uh, relationship, however many people are involved in that sexual relationship and, and can figure out what works best for them. And then they can communicate that with one another. Yeah. You have a common language as well. Yeah. 
Uh, and by body mapping, it's uh, what we're referring to as actual, acti uh, actual activity where either on your own or with partner or partners, you, you trace your body. Like you, you use different uh, uh, like materials, uh, ice cube, feathers, imprint, just to see what parts of your body feel what. Uh, your yes zones and your no zones, you know, the, the ones that hurt too much or that you just don't want touched, those are identified as well as the ones that really feel great. So how is and, that not something, an activity that every everybody in relationship should maybe consider doing? Yep. Right? Yep. And it was, it's funny because, not funny, it's kind of sad, actually. It's interesting, I guess yep. I could say it. Um, I had experiences with a, a number of sex partners where I never shared any of this information. Um, it was something that I kept to myself and that was for self-pleasure and knowing where those areas are. But within the relationship, I just never felt comfortable. There was always like a vulnerability um, to, to, to letting this go with certain people um, and or just knowing that they wouldn't be interested. You know? Yeah, and I, so, I think that, that, that sometimes uh, uh, people's idea or notion of what sex um, can be is is so narrow yeah. mm -hmm. uh, that then to suggest that something is is outside of that can be a little unnerving. So people that, a little bit yeah, the fact that, that Wallace can achieve orgasm and it has nothing to do with his genitals <laughs> is really amazing, right? Yeah. So why is that not? Like, that's yeah. people need to know about that yeah. because not that there's anything wrong. If somebody has a okay, sustained spinal cord injury. Um, somebody who has a penis and that is something that is important to them in order to regain some sort of penal function in order to have penetrative uh, sex then that's that's nothing wrong with that no, but providing, providing you go into that with the knowledge that there are other options yeah. that that doesn't have to be the end all be all and if that's not successful it doesn't mean your sex life is over or can't be even, even better, better. Than yeah. what it was when you were having penetrative. And again, it's the communication with the partner because mm -hmm. I mean that might be something that you want to achieve, but is it what your partner wants, right? And that's and 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 yeah. And I think the body mapping one part of that is yes, learning about your body, but it's also learning how to talk mm -hmm. about your body and talk. You know, gives you pleasure and what does not. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and and what greater way to give informed consent? Right. And I think too, Chad, I mean, we, we think about uh, Wallace's in my relationship. There were things that I needed to, not needed to, I guess needed to and wanted to learn about his body and and what was okay and not okay. So for example, right at his level of sensation where it goes from having sensation to no sensation, it's hypersensitive. So mm -hmm. it's not a great area for me to, it tends to be exactly where I put my arm when I snuggle up at night and it's totally the wrong spot. Because these hand twitches. Her hand is like her, her fingers are running through the grass. Yeah. And, and, it, and yeah. it could be not a great uh, feeling for no. him. And likewise, Wallace made made safe spaces for me too, as somebody who has experienced uh, sexual assault and has experienced those things to, to feel, to be okay with being vulnerable. And I feel very safe with him. And that I feel like I'd be pulling myself. Uh, which in turn makes your sex life more satisfying because mm -hmm. you don't have to hold back because I trust 
that he will tend to me and will uh, everything will always be consensual. Uh, and the thing with consent, just because it's you consented to something one time doesn't mean that it's carte blanche consent for the next time, right? That it's 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 constant. Um, and that brings up the different aspects of communication, right? It's communication. Yeah, sure. I could say this is what works for me, and Mel can say that's what works for me. But there's also the listening part, the, the actually giving the person the time, the space to say what works for them and what doesn't. And so it, it, with, it, there's the two different parts of communication, what's being said and what's being heard. Yeah. And so it's and then that's how it changes, right? Yeah. Because then uh, for Wallace, he has, he can have times where his testosterone just completely dumps. And for me, um, having a, going through menopause, that things are changing for me um, and being able to communicate those things. And both of us are sleeping is, is awful right now. So that impacts how you are and uh, and how you feel about things too, sure. right? So life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that with me. It's been very informative. Sure. And, uh, you know, I just thank you for being so open about that. Um, so you've mentioned, was, was it 2020 when you said that that's really kind of when T6 talk really started going or you know was was there work being done prior to you know you, you kind of put a name to everything you were doing yeah well I, I think it would have been late late 2020 early 2021 uh -huh. and when we were asked to do when we ended up doing that first talk on sex and disability for spinal cord injury Ontario uh, that we wanted to come up with a website just so that if people had questions or wanted to connect Mm -hmm. um and so literally it was a home page and a contact page that was yeah. it gotcha and a uh, full disclosure right now i have like eight months worth of stuff to post on our site like <laughs> it'll probably double the what we uh the content that we have now it's just a matter of life just being in the way and, and not having the time to put it on uh but it really has grown um uh since then and the type of work we, we we're doing has grown. Um, I would love, is it okay for us to talk about the sexuality and access project that we're working on? Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, your time to, to share, you know, I, you know, my next basic question was going to be, you know, obviously what, you know, what are some of the other conversations that you guys are asked to talk about? And obviously, yeah. are there any initiatives that you guys are kind of trying to spearhead? So obviously, please mm -hmm. feel free. Super. Okay, then that 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 works well. So we did the first talk um, on on sex and disability or sex sex and spinal cord injury, uh, and realized that um, a one session really wasn't long enough to be able to to have that conversation. So we ended up doing a three part series for them, and in getting ready to do that, we were asked a very simple question. We were asked by um, to speak to the relationship between people who access attendant care services and those who provide attendant care services when it comes to people accessing sex or their sexual health. Yeah, their sexual needs. Their sexual, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we thought, well, we, we could, that's for sure, that, that should be included in that. Uh, and, and we couldn't speak to it personally because at this time, Wallace has, uh, does, has, does not access attendant care services. Uh, but we thought, you know, from the people that we know or being able to reach out onto the Great Life um, Internet, that we would be able to find some information. And the, the more we look, the more we realize that there's really not the information out there and certainly nowhere near enough in order for us to speak to it with any with any confidence. So 
when we did that three-part series, we acknowledged the question that was asked and we told the people, the participants, that we're not going to sweep this underneath the rug. This is something that interests us and we'll do something separate from this three-part series. Um, so then we started um, asking questions and started talking to different organizations. So one of the first things that I did, because again, Wallace, did, you know, he's keeping the roof over our head. So he's he's at his desk uh, working for a paycheck and I'm at my desk, uh, well, at that point it was on the, on the couch, um, <laughs> for no pay, kind of doing all of this stuff. So it's the, it's the you know passion project stuff. Absolutely. And uh, so I, I started reaching out to colleges uh, with the PSW programs to kind of find out like how are people trained when it comes to sexual health and the people that they're going to be uh, serving, uh, and realized very quickly that it was uh, my hand was being slapped. That these are things that are inappropriate questions to be asking, and and. Uh, realized okay these this is maybe not the people to be talking to to start with um and i just want to interject real quick yeah. and say psws um here in canada um are the individuals who are trained to do uh attendant care services and so many of the um so uh a funded uh housing uh, uh i don't want to say projects but housing um De yeah. developments Housing buildings that people live in will have assisted PS housing. Assisted <laughs> housing, that's the word. Yeah. Will have uh, PSWs uh, working there support to support people. people. And there's lots of different and, ways that people get yeah. supported, right? So whether it's in um, uh, in like a, like within housing or with it's in if it's in somebody's own uh, personal apartment or mm -hmm. or or house, yeah. people uh, will go through a service, and there's other people who. Um, get direct funding so they can actually hire uh, the people that are going to be coming into their into their home space into their space. Uh, and then we also have lots of people that we know that um, they don't use anybody who's gone through any college courses of any kind. They just find people who are the right fit for them from a personality point of view because they can direct their care and can easily train somebody on how to help them with a wear lift or. Uh, to assist with bowel and bladder or, or whatever it might be on the docket to do. So there's lots of different ways that people access that that care. Um, yeah, but, but when it comes to sexual health, that, that really wasn't something that... Um, it was not part of their curriculum, and not only is it not part of their curriculum, but it's just inappropriate to even ask them. Yeah. Uh, so, it was that far off the radar. Yeah. So we started, we were connecting with independent living centers across Canada because we didn't also want to just focus on spinal cord injury because this goes beyond just spinal cord injury, it's disability, mm -hmm. the broader disability community. Um, and then we also reached out to um, some people we know on the West Coast in Vancouver who um, do a lot when it comes to sexual health. And basically what we were told was you, you need to maybe look at doing a study. You need to maybe look at doing some research on this. And then at that point, somebody we know from one of the independent living centers that's close by us said that they were a part of a study that was done in 2011 by uh, Corey Silverberg and Fran Odette and provided us with a link to the executive summary. And as soon as Wallace and I looked at it, we thought this is exactly what we're talking about. But in all the conversations we've had with all of these people within these recognized organizations they said you know not to like rain on your parade here but who are melanie and wallace at the t6 talk 
um, you you need to have you need to be partnered with people who who can actually do something with this research and maybe have a, a research and ethics board that can review and what you're doing. And so a friend of mine actually suggested that we reach out to an executive director of Shore, which used to be Planned Parenthood uh, in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And uh, TK, we met with TK and they are just absolutely amazing. And in turn, uh, they connected us with the University of Guelph and their mm -hmm. SESI department. Um, and so our phase one team right now is way beyond us. I mean, we are kind of the spokespeople. We are the uh, people who are networking with disability organizations across Canada. But then in the background, we have people who understand research. They have the research and ethics board that can vet these things. So as a team, we ended up rewriting the two surveys that were done in the 2011 uh, project. And we wanted to stay as close to those two surveys as possible. So this, there was a survey for people who access attendant care services and a survey for people who provide those services, whether it's paid employment or, or whether it's um, not paid or uh, whether it's direct hire or through a service, it, it didn't matter. And these surveys were there to measure people's experiences with with helping one another or asking for- Yeah, um, anything that, to do with sexual health. But we knew we wanted to basically copy and paste that. Um, so we did reach out to Corey and to Fran, and they gave us their blessing to go forth and um, to do another iteration of the surveys. Um, and we actually met up with Fran uh, last summer, and um, she actually vetted the um, surveys at the end of the year, uh, at the end of last year as well. So really great to have that uh, support there. Uh, so the only way that we really changed those surveys was we looked at the gaps that Corey and Fran had, uh, looked at how we could fill those gaps. And then we um, looked at language, especially how around how people identify mm -hmm. to ensure that people felt um, that they weren't being othered so that they felt they were seen in that. Um, so those two surveys have been live since the end of January. Uh, and they will be live at least until the end of this August. And then there'll be the data collection. We'll be reviewing it, comparing it to what they found in 2011. Which was? Which was basically people want to have the conversation, but they don't know how to do it. Right. And so we figure we're likely going to end up with much the same response here, but let's we're going to wait and see. So this is phase one. Phase two is really what we wanted to get to if we didn't have to do phase one first, which is how can we maybe look at developing some kind of a training program that would be for both sides of the equation. So the per people looking to uh, access um, a positive, healthy sex life and people who might provide assistance with that. And for this particular project specifically, we are looking at um, pre and post care when it comes to sex. We're not talking about sexual surrogacy, but that is a project that Wallace and I would like to look at next as a, as a next project. Uh, but that's not, not what this is. So in the end, what we would like to do is to, to gather the data, but then also be a part of coming up with a solution for this. And so with that, we would be looking at developing an advisory committee that would be across Canada, uh, across disability, um, and have it... Uh, um, as, for it to be as inclusive as yeah, possible. As much representation as we... Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I, we've talked about it a lot, Chad. So sometimes I mm -hmm. talk about it with the thought that the person that we're talking to um, maybe already has some information on it. So if, I, if there's any gaps there, please feel free to ask questions about it. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I think the question I have to ask, obviously, um, is, you know, <laughs> so, you know, sex is always such like, you know, a, a touchy subject, no pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah. But it seems to be even more hush hush when it comes to people who have a disability. And oh, I, sure. I don't and, and you know, obviously you know, as you guys have been exploring this topic um, much more than I ever have. I'm just curious, like, why why such a taboo? I mean, like, sex, I mean, I feel like it's talked about more than it ever has been in the history of the world, but why is it still so just, like, disabled people don't have sex? Because that, that's, like, well, such that's a gross misconception, but that's what people believe. Yes, and and I think there's well, there's a lot of different things I think that go into it. Um, uh, the, yes, the myths and misconceptions. People with disabilities are asexual. Um, is the is is a big one, and not only that is if you you are sexual being, how on earth could you ever satisfy someone sexually? I mean, I actually had my old father say that I got hurt, you know, and and it's a lot of it is our our ableist. I would argue that we need to step up, step back from disability for a moment and just look at how people talk about sex in general outside of disability community. Oh, yeah, that's what they're, they're, yeah. they're really like we can say that we have come a long way, but really have we? Mm. Because you know, how readily would somebody who maybe doesn't identify as having a disability, how readily would they maybe go to their healthcare provider, uh, like their, their family doctor, and ask for help when it comes to their sexual health? Uh, and then would they be confident that their doctor would be comfortable in even talking about sex? People have hang-ups about talking about sex. They can't talk about bowel movements. They can't talk about <laughs> urinating. They can't talk about sex. All of these things are the things that we're not supposed to talk about. And certainly, as speaking as a, a cisgendered female, um, I'm not supposed to be interested in having sex, right? Certainly not as a young person. I certainly wasn't supposed to be interested uh, or, or want to access that. So it's a and matter of older people. Right, right, right. Old people don't have sex. Exactly. <laughs> so you you start with the foundation of a society that really doesn't want to talk about sex in a healthy way. And then you put disability on top of that, yep. and then it it becomes even even trickier. And yep. then you take intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. And put that on top of that, even like that's even more of a stigma because people with intellectual disabilities are kept as children and they're not supposed to be interested in having sex either. No. So, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, but I just had a lot of feelings about that. Yeah, me too. But yeah, I, I just, I think it, it as, as Melanie said, there just are these pre-existing hangups that are, are just, are just there. And um, any of the advances that have uh, come along in terms of, um, you know, Talking about sex and exposure to uh, uh, sex and sexual, sexual and that kind of thing, it's it's all based on people who are able-bodied, you know. That and and there's no representation when it comes to people with disability, mm -hmm. um, and so therefore, if they're left out of that equation, then again, it just goes further to reinforce the 
the myth that you're asexual and or not a sexual being. Yeah, and representation matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so is it irresponsible of, say, like government-funded, like, facilities or, you know, health clinics or, you know, specialists to, I mean, especially nowadays, to kind of keep the kind of the hush-hush kind of mentality? Because, you know, obviously with, you know, what, you know, I've been exposed to just in my lifetime and what I've read and have consumed in terms of media and information, it seems like sex is actually quite a big problem not just in America, but um, in, around the world. And, you know, maybe it's a little irresponsible of, you know, these specialists in these facilities to still do the whole, yeah, yeah, we, we, we don't talk about that. Absolutely. It's such a huge barrier. I mean, the World Health Organization has deemed um, sex and, and people's sexuality um, acts of daily living. Um, it's, it's, you know, that important. Sexual and, health is a part of our health. Yeah. So how is that not being talked about within, with our healthcare providers? Yeah. So yes, it is an injustice. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. it goes a long it's way again. It is irresponsible. It goes a long way to, to again, reinforcing a lot of those stereotypes. And the more we don't have conversations healthy, positive conversations, the more apt people are going to be at risk. If we mm -hmm. then um, back up and, and, and take disability out of the equation and, and people's, I don't ever remember being told that I had a right to state what I wanted or did not want. Um, and then you put disability on top of that. And then you have, especially when it comes around, you know, you have to be happy with what you get. And you take the first person who shows an interest because who's ever going to love you as a person with a disability. And then you- Which are, I fell on. Yeah. And then yeah. you are in a position of, if we look at the data, which I cannot pull out right now out of my head, but at, at abuse and, and, and figures around abuse and people with disabilities and, and how they are taken advantage of, it's, it's a reality. So yeah, that was that was yeah, something that I was going to, you know, touch on uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a book, there's a book out there, uh, Chad, that I really I think everybody should have an opportunity to listen to or to uh, read is uh, "The Body Is Not an Apology" by Sonia Renee Taylor. I hope I got that right. Um, and in uh, I can't remember what pronouns um, they use, so I'll just use they. Um, that they talk at the beginning of the book about a friend uh, with a disability coming to them to say that they were concerned that they were pregnant uh, and having a background in sexual health. Um, Sonia asked, you know, did you not use birth control? And the friend said, well, I didn't feel I had a right to ask. It was enough that they would basically that they would that they would have sex with me. And then that's where the term, you know, the body is not an apology. And that's people are put at risk yeah. because they feel, you know, I finally have somebody that is willing <laughs> to have sex with me. How do I ask them to put on a condom? Yeah. And yeah. And how many of those conversations are not having a, a, like that are not happening within and outside of disability community yeah. to keep mm -hmm. ourselves safe? 
and then there's also um and you know it's gross to know that there's those people out there but but they're out there as there are people um i honestly what i would call them sexual deviants honestly that are especially looking for uh disabled people because they want oh, predators, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's yeah that yeah. is the reality. That is yeah. the reality. They look for the vulnerable populations to use and Or it's, abuse, a, it's, and... It's, it's a fetish, right? Where, you yes. know, you're specifically looking for a particular, and it's not about the person, it's about their disability. And it, it, it objectifies people in a, in a completely different way. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. not to say all fetishes are bad. No. That, yes. that can be very destructive. Like we're talking about fetishes where there's consent or, you know, yeah, right. you know, you know animals are not involved, you know, inanimate objects, okay? <laughs> I mean, I guess consent doesn't have to be, uh, but, you know, yeah. No, I just think it's, like, important, especially for, like, you know, someone who is physically or motorly uh, disabled to know that of, of those risks out there, that there, there are those predators out there that yeah. will come to them and they'll seem like, you know, oh, this is the one, but they really just want you because they want to be, they want that, they just, they want a doll. That's, that's what people yeah. say. And, and, you know, it's like, if we aren't talking about this, then again, the risk is that people could end up having those encounters and being preyed on by, upon those, by those predators. Exactly. Yeah. And in turn, I mean, it's, it becomes a vicious cycle because then there's also the argument, like, let's say if there's um, a person who is speaking with family members about their desire to have um, uh, sexual relationships with people and they have a disability, people will say, well, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that because you're at risk because there's mm-hmm. predators out there. So, you know, it, it becomes the, it's, it's the reality. It's there. It's something like how do we keep people safe, but how do we also not live in fear and not be able to actually live our lives and explore what we need to explore in a healthy in a healthy way and i think it comes down to communication and feeling comfortable knowing to ask questions mm-hmm. right so and, and and one of the best ways to protect yourself is to feel comfortable in asking those questions. when you get red flags question them right when mm-hmm. when you see things that don't quite fit we say all the time trust your gut mm-hmm. right when you and when you see those things um, but unfortunately, as Chad said, you know, that there are people who won't trust their gut, who won't do their, as you said as well, that will will put themselves into the vulnerable box just to have one of their basic needs met. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So maybe we just need to have a complete restructuring of the way we enter into relationships. Um and are communicating in terms of our wants and our desires. Uh because you know we, I, I feel like we are kind of you know fixated and still kind of integrated with a lot of the old school way of thinking, and uh, mm-hmm. we we kind of just need to get out that and you know make people realize that you know you you need to ask more questions and it's okay to talk about right. what's good and what's that's not. the big thing mm-hmm. and that's okay. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if a part like a regular curriculum? I mean. To live in a world where we can have, you know, the arts be an integral part of our education system rather than being the first thing to go. To have robust sexual health um, um, uh, courses that are not uh, linked to physical education because 
often if somebody maybe is not participating in phys ed in school, then they also miss out on any kind of sexual health um, uh, curriculum as well. Uh, and, and, and communication, like basic communication and learning what the difference is between being passive or being aggressive or uh, having an assertive uh, communication um, um, style. style. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, they seem like kind of very logical ways to look at it, but then you go to introduce those things into an education system and then you're going to have those who believe that those things should not be talked about. Mm -hmm. So then whatever curriculum is developed gets watered down or gets picked apart so much that we're really in the same position that and we are now. Because as Chad said, old school ways. That's exactly you know, it. That people just get stuck in yeah. doing it because it's the way it's always been done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. people wanting to police other people rather than just saying, you know, there's the choice here. You don't have to participate if this is not this is not your bag. Don't keep other people from having this information. It's it's just not. We need it's a full-on right. sexual revolution. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, sounds it like it. Um, because I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, sex, you know, for most people, it's largely the physical aspect of what they get out of it. But you know. I think a lot of people tend to forget that sex and sexual encounters are emotional, mental, and mm -hmm. even for mm -hmm. many, a spiritual mm -hmm. thing. Um, and That's a big part that gets missed. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the huge, spiritual Kevin. part. Yeah. That's huge. And, and how do we define sex? Because for somebody, it could be holding hands with yeah. the person that is nearest and dearest to them. And who is anybody else to judge whether or not that satisfies what their definition is. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, our dog is snoring here, so I don't know if we picked that up. <laughs> no, no. But she's very relaxed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's there's there's it has come a long way in some ways, but it has gone backwards in others. Mm -hmm. And and a big part of it is as you addressed, or, or, or I think what started this line of, of conversation is that the attitudinal barriers are the biggest. Well, that's, what I mean. that's where you were going to read the very beginning of the conversation. You're going to talk about what does disability mean to you? Yeah. And, and so it, it, to me, I really don't think that um, disability is an inherent quality of the individual. I, I, I believe that disability is upon people uh, based on the environment they find themselves mm -hmm. so um if if barriers with it's a physical barrier if physical barriers are eliminated and you don't have the dis there's no disability right you can mm -hmm. you can fully and equally participate attitudinal barriers are are eliminated well again that will go a long way to eliminating disability in general because mm -hmm. Everybody is treated equally. Everybody is accepted. Well, there is an equal, equal playing field. Equal playing field, yes. Um, yeah. 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 And it's so interesting because I mean, just as a, it just made me think of, uh, we do a lot of uh, traveling um, and, and how often it is impossible oh to get an accessible room 
because everybody, whether they have a disability or not, wants to book the accessible room. It's like, then why not make them all accessible? Yeah. <laughs> and then we won't have a problem getting an accessible room or having to, you know, have somebody at the hotel kick out the able-bodied person from the room so that we can have an accessible room. Mm-hmm. And then going into that accessible room, and it's like everybody has the same memo to say, here are five ways that you can make a hotel room accessible. Just go ahead and randomly pick two or three of those. <laughs> <laughs> and, and make that, and then and then there's a bunch of stuff that's missed, but that's that's something else entirely. So... I mean, you, you bring up a very good point, Wallace, because, I mean, if we take the pandemic as an example, look at all the progress that was made when we, you know, brought in remote work. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, we saw that the world as a global entity has the capacity and the ability to make work accessible for people who are disabled or really mm-hmm. need to have their own home set up because that's what's going to be best for them. But then the second where it's no longer an issue for the world and all those who don't really need it, there's no longer a willingness. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a big issue. It's like we could definitely get rid of a lot of these barriers. But um, I feel like a lot of people who are at the center of the problem, they don't want to put in the work, even though they have the capacity and the ability to do so. No, I don't know whether it's the same in the States, Chad, but that also became true for virtual healthcare. So being able mm-hmm. to have a visit with a doctor over the phone uh, rather than going into an office. And mm-hmm. these are all things uh, that were, were told, a uh, disability community was told before that- That's not possible. It's not possible. How can you have to bill OHIP or whatever for these these things? Um, we'd have, we don't have the codes for it. And all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits and- it's you're able to do it. Yeah. So and I mean, it's changed my world in terms of doing uh, um, therapy is uh, I work only online. And I, I do not do uh, uh, face-to-face sessions. Uh, everything is done uh, preferably by video, if not by the telephone. And what is marvelous about that is I can offer services to people that live way up North in Ontario, for example, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, don't have, and because I specialize in, you know, uh, disability and, and, and trauma related to disability and illness and disease and those types of things that, you know, they might not, a lot of rural towns would be lucky if they have one counselor in their town. Yeah. And now I'm able to provide services to people all over the province. Um, to, to, so you don't have to worry about the physical setup of the office. You don't have to worry about transportation. You don't have to worry about the cost of transportation or travels to get to an appointment all of those things are eliminated mm-hmm. and not only that but they're in the comfort of their own home yeah. while we're doing a session right mm-hmm. so how much uh, to me better is that when you're feeling vulnerable in terms of of discussing uh, things in your life that are not going well to be in your own home to, and do that as opposed to some sterile office yeah, somewhere that Financially more accessible as oh, well. Sure. Because you look at how many people that you've seen in, uh, like, we, we live fairly close to Toronto. It's only like an hour and a half for us to get there, but you've met people that basically to go for a one hour doctor's appointment. I've traveled 12 hours. You know, yeah. and, and there's that that's problematic in and of itself. It, it could yeah. end up causing more, more health problems oh, doing that sure. traveling than yeah. to actually just 
have a video. Especially emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, that's why it upsets me that so many um, offices are saying, no, no more. You got to come back into, you know, in person. So it's like, well, why? You, you've just proven yeah. that you can do this. So why are you taking it away? And then it's like, okay, well, it might just start thinking now. It's just the only thing I can think of is that it's just you hate disability. I mean, I'm sorry. Or is but it like, a micro? Is there's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And it's the micro. Like, you, was I not doing my job for the last couple of years? Uh huh. Uh, so, so, like, yeah. Why? Yes. Why take away <laughs> something that was working? Mm-hmm. Right. Just. And it, it, it uh, I'm dumbfounded and by do, that. Do people hate disability? I think people generally hate things or or um uh, that they fear and they don't understand. Um, but you know people, that's why it's I so mean, good the, that the, oh, the God, number sorry, of times the number of times uh, I've for whatever reason I've said to somebody oh, about my husband having paraplegia and they 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 respond with oh I'm sorry oh. I wasn't looking for your sympathy. Why were you driving the van? <laughs> it's, it's factual. <laughs> disability is not a bad word um yeah the idea that we should all aspire to this default body yeah and and people outside of disability community can't even reach that ideal goal and feel unfulfilled and feel like they're not good enough yeah so then if you're disabled how can you possibly feel okay with yourself yourself. because as a as a person who's able-bodied i you know, I feel like I weigh 50 pounds too much or whatever. So if I can't be satisfied and happy with my body the way that it is, you can't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny story about that. Actually, I mentioned earlier about working at Home Depot. Um, I had one of my coworkers think <laughs> that this was a completely okay thing to say because it was said in front of a group of other coworkers and just left me slack jawed. But I was wearing shorts, and you also have to wear work boots when you're working at Home Depot because you need steel toes, what have you. And I haven't walked in 35 years, and my legs are kind of skinny. So she said to me, Are you not in? Because I was wearing shorts and boots. And she said to me, Are you not in, you know, worried or embarrassed what people might say about your legs being so skinny? And I could not believe she said it with such a straight face and thought that, like I said, she thought that was a totally okay thing to say. And it blew me away. I, I just, I didn't know how to react. We are encouraged in our society to judge people's bodies and to comment yes. about how they are not appropriate. The fat phobia, certainly ableism. What gives us the right to assess somebody in mm-hmm. that way and make those and and also assume that they are going to feel the same way as, as, as yeah. you? It's and like that they do because it's been shoved. Yeah, it's a very damaged world that we live in. We. We are not encouraged to love ourselves. Everything is set up for us to not like ourselves so that- Unless we, you fit. 
so that the we perfect will, and then, whatever and, and even those who seemingly have reached those upper echelons are still not happy and satisfied no, that's what i said but it's it an feeds, unachievable goal it feeds the the economics of the society we built yeah. to consume and to keep consuming until we are better and we cannot love each other ourselves we cannot accept ourselves until we've achieved this thing we can never read so it's like that carrot in front of the donkey yeah. that we're constantly going after it and we can never say i'm enough and no. i love me and i'm good and then for those of us who do you're considered conceited yeah that you're full of yourself that you're overconfident or so, just wrong or just wrong yeah so even if you do achieve that there's again something wrong with you yeah so it, yeah so then add a disability on top of all that and yeah. No, I mean, you bring it up something that really messed me up for the longest time when it came to my disability. Um, that was, I wanted to be normal. Um, you know, I wanted mm -hmm. to look like everybody else. I wanted to act like everybody else. And I wanted to do everything that all the normal people could do. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about is uh, we're made to believe that we have this image that we've got to meet. And if we don't meet it, and we fall below it, then, you know, excuse my language, but we're absolute shit. Um, and, yeah. you know, we're, we're not yeah. worth anything. And that messed me up so much. Um, and I finally realized that, you know, normal, that's just a gross word. Um, and, yeah. you know, I don't even really like to, you know, associate that word into my language nowadays. You know, if I yeah. use it, I'm using it to, you know, prove a point. And that is mm -hmm. that I replaced normal with authentic. You know, I'd rather just be myself oh, and, good. and live up to my own image because that's the image that means the most. I don't care what anyone else thinks I got to look like. I'm going to look like me. I'm going to act like me and I'm going to yeah. talk like me because I'm beautiful just the way I am. And I don't got to be yeah. anything else or measure up to anybody else's image because that is not normal. The normal that you think is normal, it's not normal. Yeah. Now, now, Chad, do you feel like at that time where you did feel that way, that did you feel like you kind of disassociated from disability community or did not want to identify as somebody with a disability at A hundred percent. I hated my disability um, when I got, you know, when I really got into my own mind. And, you know, I always joke and say I've never needed enemies because all my enemies have always been inside my head from day one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I got to a real bad point where, you know, you, you said it yourself, but I was looking for ways to kill myself. Pills, yeah. knives, jump out of the car. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm with my parents. I, I wanted to die. I didn't want to live because I thought that having a disability was just the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. Um, yeah. Right. But, you know, again, with time comes maturity and with help, um, men, you know, mental, emotional, spiritual help that I sought and got um, and asked for and was able to help benefit me. It changed my mindset eventually. And, you know, now I'm to a point where I'm happy being blind. And I think it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And I think it's just yeah. more so that I realized that, a disability can be an ability and what people say is a disadvantage can be your greatest advantage. And that's for sure. Yeah, try to absolutely. And I would imagine then by having this podcast, Chad, and 
engaging with the greater disability community out there, that that in turn kind of further solidifies those feelings for you. Yeah, it's, it's like Wallace was saying, you know, the, the influence by peers. The more you get to yeah. meet amazing people like you two yourself, the more you see just how amazing this community is, just how amazing across the board and the entire spectrum how truly amazing we are. Um, we we're, we are all yeah. like snowflakes. We're never going to be alike, even if we have the same disability, but we can still be as incredible. And that is what yeah. I love so much. And that's what has made me, you know, even though I'm already at a point where I'm comfortable with my disability, you know, it just reinforces, it makes me even more proud to say I'm a disabled yeah. person. <laughs> Right. And to be able to pay forward that same feeling to others, like you said, mm -hmm. to peers, to people who, who who don't know that it's possible to get to that point where you love yourself mm -hmm. with a disability. Um, the representation matters. It does. So that's why podcasts like this matter. Yeah. Uh, and sharing it so, th so that the, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who listen to your podcast who are already um, on board, but it's also by having these conversations and that's one of the things that we say is we got to keep the community or keep the conversation keep, going. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that it's interesting to, so often we don't think about how we can actually influence and move a piece forward, but that's mm -hmm. exactly what you're doing, Chad, in making these spaces like this is that you are moving something forward in a, in a fundamental way. Um, and it's really important. Yeah. It's actually, <laughs> what a, what I, what I find really very interesting about part of the work I do is um, um, one of the things that I'm so happy to be able to offer to people um, at no cost to the individual is internet-delivered cognitive behavioral therapy. And within that, there's all kinds of lessons about um, you know different strategies, different skills, and how to think about things, think about yourself you know, different behavior uh, uh, strategies, like all kinds of stuff like that. Time and time and time again, with people that go through the program, the number one thing that people like about the material is the case examples. Mm -hmm. Is that they, there's, with each one of the lessons, there are, there, there's like three people that we follow through the entire program and they, that's what they like the most because not only are they able to see how somebody else with a disability puts these skills into play, but it teaches people that they're not alone. Yeah. It teaches people that they're not the only one that's dealing with this kind of stuff. It, and again, when you say using the word normal, again, don't really like it, but it 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 kind of it normalizes mm -hmm. the experience and um, enables people to 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 move forward in, in so many ways knowing that you have peers yeah. and that you can, you can, yeah. Yeah. Don't sell yourselves short either because it's the conversations that you two are having as well that help move the ball forward and keep it going. So we appreciate well, it. Thank you, you guys that. do too. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, Melanie Wallace, I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and sitting down with me. I really, really enjoyed it. Honestly, if we actually had recorded our first talk off the record, we could have done another episode too. Uh, but yeah. I really have enjoyed talking to you guys. And um, I'm you so as happy. Well. It's... Oh, thank you. Thank Time you goes Jen. by. It's been two hours and you'd never know. It just no. flies by. <laughs>
I know, I know. But before I let you go, can you please let people know where they can find you guys at and follow you? Because obviously, I want um, my supporters to be your supporters too. So please, if you have any links, please share them. Absolutely. So um, you can reach us through our website, which is t6talk.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at t6talk. Uh, our email is t6talk at gmail.com. Right now, those are the ways that you can be in touch with us. And as well, on our website, we do have a page for our sexuality and access projects so people can learn about it more. And if they want to be involved, they can certainly reach out and I will connect um, the people with uh, the fabulous people at the University of Guelph so that yep. people can receive packages on the actual project uh, as well. Yeah. And also want to add to that, um, well, one with T6 Talk, it's the uh, uh, small letter T, the number six, and the word talk. Thank you. So um, just to, to make sure that that. So T-A-L-K. Sorry. Yeah, T-A-L-K. <laughs> Not like yes. TikTok. <laughs> Not TikTok, yes. And um, also with our website is we we invite people to send us their story. So we, we, we just we want people to share their experience. So if anybody that looks at the site feels like you know, they would like to share with us, please, please do want to add to Melanie's pile of things that she needs to get to, and then eventually yeah. hopefully get on her site. And, and we did start with a fairly narrow focus of spinal cord injury, but that's since changed. So yeah. looking yeah. for disability community. So however you might identify as somebody with a disability, we would love to hear from you. Awesome. That includes you, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we will connect further. Obviously, um, we will keep talking. Um, Yes. So thank you guys so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate it. And I've had a lot of fun. Thanks, Chad. Oh, it was a joy. Thank yeah, you, Chad. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, everybody, that's going to be it for today's episode. I really do hope you guys enjoyed on this episode. And if you know anybody that has a story that they want to share, again, it can be about anything, disability, chronic health conditions. And again, remember things like ADHD, depression, those are disabilities too. So if you have a story, please reach out to them. Get those links and please share your story because the more people can see those peers, the more that we can make it a better and more just authentic feeling to be disabled. So please reach out to them. I would love for you to connect with them. And if you want to follow the podcast, please do let your friends and family know that we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. You just got to look up The Unsighted Radio. Just make sure when you're spelling unsighted, you go UN. S-Y, as in Yankee, T-E-D, The Unsighted Radio. And if you want to follow along on Twitter, you can poke me, DM me, you can interact with me. I, I love to just talk and interact with everybody. Um, go to at Unsighted Radio. It's at U-N-S-Y-T-E-D Radio. It's one word, at Unsighted Radio. And if you want me to answer any of your questions or pass questions along to my guests, Please email me at cmbalton, that's C as in Chad, M as in Michael, B as in boy, O-U-T-O-N at yahoo.com. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much. And thank you again to my amazing guests, Melanie and Wallace of T6 Talk. I hope you guys had a lot of fun. I know I did. Until we meet again, please be safe and always be kind. Bye, guys. <laughs>